And I'm thankful to be here. Um, it's been a beautiful weekend, and uh, I just I just like coming here with you. And all the people joining online this morning, uh, we can welcome them one more time. The Mountain Recovery Center, Fort Detrick Fire Department. Yeah. And our great church in Berkeley Springs, it's good to be with you this morning. And God's doing great stuff there. We're just thankful that God is for us and with us in every season of life. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. I uh, Last Sunday was a little bit of a precursor to the sermon series coming up. And, uh, you know, there, there's times in church where, where you could be offended. And I would recommend don't do that. But I'm going to try to offend you today. Is that okay? <laughs> there's a lot of things in scripture that don't settle with us very well. And we live in a culture today that, that sometimes we wake up and, and if you're, if you maybe have a little age on you, you wake up, you may not recognize it. And the way the church handles cultural change determines whether we have a voice. And my prayer is, is that God is still calling us to make disciples. He's still calling us to introduce people to Jesus. And so uh, when we see massive cultural changes, it requires the church to respond, but it respond in a Christ-like way. And so we're going to walk through the book of Daniel, if that's okay with you. If not, uh, I probably won't see you next week. <laughs> For the next about seven, eight weeks, we're going to walk through the book of Daniel. I think the book of Daniel is about the best example of, of how to uphold your faith in a culture you don't recognize uh, in all of Scripture. And Daniel does that. So uh, we're going to lean into that a little bit today and open up. We, um, we called this uncanceled. And I know everybody hears about cancel culture nowadays. And this isn't about the church fighting to not be canceled. This is just living an uncanceled life. Because you're the only one can be offended. Amen. You get to determine if you're offended or not. You really do. You can wake up in the morning and determine I'm going to be unoffendable today. That doesn't mean the devil won't try it. But we get to determine that for ourselves. Nobody can offend you if you don't let them. Amen? Amen? Look at your spouse. Tell them, nobody can offend me if I don't let them. Look at your parents. Nobody can offend me if I don't let them. Uncanceled. Here we go. We're going to read from Daniel, but I want to actually read from Jeremiah first, if you don't mind. We're going to read a portion from Jeremiah, and then we're going to read from Daniel chapter 1. So why don't you stand to your feet one more time. This will be the last time you stand up till the end. And we're going to read from Jeremiah chapter 29. Say amen if you're ready. Amen. Loud amen in Berkeley Springs. Jeremiah 29 verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs of the officials of, the, of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. 
The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa and the son, his son, his son, his son. Whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, it said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. These are the instructions, all right? Are you ready? Start in verse 5. These are the instructions. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray for the Lord on its behalf, for if, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. All right, let's go to Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged him. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar, into the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understand, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among those were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. God, we pray especially at a time like this, God, you give us an equal amount of grace and truth. God, that we'd be able to love on people the way you loved on us. God, even in a, even in a culture we may not recognize very well anymore, God, give us grace for people. We pray that your will would be done through us as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. All right. Can I, can I start out with a little history lesson? So Israel was composed of 12 tribes. Where we got this is uh, the man that was literally renamed Israel had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. Well... We had Saul was the first king, and then David was the second king of Israel. David had a son named Solomon, who was the third king of Israel. Solomon 
started out pretty good. He built the temple to God. It started out pretty well. Towards the end of his life, not so hot. He has a son named Rehoboam, who was even not so hotter. And at the beginning of Rehoboam's reign, there's a a debate on taxes. And and how much burden they're going to put on people. And it was advised to him to lighten up a little bit. And he went, no. I'm going to push even harder. So when he makes this decision, there are 10 tribes of the nation of Israel that they go, dude, we're done with you. They were called the 10 northern tribes. So they break off. They have a split. They break off and they start following another king in in the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, most of Benjamin, stay with Rehoboam. Well, the ten northern tribes, it doesn't work out well for them. As soon as they split off, they they end up turning away from God. They make it another 50 years or so. And the Assyrians end up coming and, and decimating them. And they never reappear. They're actually caught, known as the ten lost tribes of Israel. So Judah and Benjamin now are with Rehoboam. And they fare a little better. They end up turning away from God as well, but they last roughly about three times as long, about 135 years. And then they go into what we know as exile into Babylon. There's a lot of prophecy of God trying to turn his people back and saying, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. They don't listen. Jeremiah comes along and says, hey, this is what's going to happen. And here's what you should do when you get there. We pick up Daniel. Daniel is carried away in the first of four exiles. Daniel, when they, when, when Nebuchadnezzar and the nation of Babylon overtake the last two southern tribes in Jerusalem, they end up taking all the really smart, good looking people. You know, like this whole group. What, what a conquering nation was do is they wouldn't leave you there to figure out how to revolt. They would take all the really smart, educated, noble people and they would take them out of that environment, bring them back and re-educate them. So we see Daniel being rounded up in that first group of royalty and nobility and the good looking ones. They take him back and we find out about 14 years old that he is put in kind of like an accelerated bachelor's degree in Chaldean culture. He's going to get a new name. He may have a little bit of a surgery. Go research what a eunuch is and we don't have any recording of Daniel ever having any kids or getting married. He is taught a new language and he is steeped in the Chaldean culture, which is an absolute godless culture. It's godless on steroids. If you go back and, and research Babylonian culture, the Bible actually all the way up into the New Testament, when it refers to an evil culture, it uses Babylon as the example. You can look at your kids and you're acting like a Babylonian. 
It was the, it was the, it was the symbol of evilness. And Nebuchadnezzar was at the top of the heap. Now the irony to all this is that it was God's design for judgment against Israel that they would be brought into exile for a, for a period of 70 years. So I, I have a little, I have a little pet peeve, actually. Everybody knows that, maybe you don't, but a, a lot of you might know that famous verse from Jeremiah that says, I know the plans that I have for you to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And we quote that when we get an ingrown toenail. Or, or the, or, you know, or, or we're ready to get a promotion at work. And we're like, I, he knows the plans that he has for me, says the Lord. Yeah, don't use that anymore. Throw away your coffee cup that has, I know the plans that I have for you. Unless you're planning and going into exile. Yeah. That was actually a verb. That was actually Jeremiah telling the people in exile, going into exile, hey, listen. God's not going to leave you in this judgment. Now, if you're young in here and your parents are getting ready to discipline you, then you can look up at them and go, hey, God knows the plans that he has for me, not to harm me. He's watching. That is a verse that in its context is to encourage people going through discipline. That God has not forsaken them or left them, but through God's plan of discipline, they would end up a better nation. Amen? Isn't it crazy how we just randomly, willy-nilly throw around these scriptures, print them on shirts and coffee mugs, and we have no idea? All right. Daniel is thrust into a culture he doesn't recognize. Ancient Babylon is now modern, where modern-day Iraq is. From Jerusalem to the city where they took him, 700 miles. There wasn't a train. Wasn't any one-way flights. Wasn't any bus stop. Imagine 13, 14 years old, being yanked out of your home, watching the devastation of your city. And then being forced for months to walk, rehashing all that in the back of your mind, only to be faced with the anxiety of walking into a culture that you know is the antithesis of everything you've been taught. This is not a walk in the park. It's more like a death march. And Daniel and the people of nobility and the royalty are being marched to Babylon. They get there, they get their names changed. If you research their names, they're not, it's not like changing my name from Chris to Bill. Change your name, the, the name change was significant that all four of those names that were changed, and this was, this was typical of what they were doing with everybody that what came into exile. They were changing their names to names that were, that were promoting worship to pagan gods. The, your very identity was trying to be erased. We're going to start calling you worship to our pagan God. That's what we're going to name you. He would be emasculated. He would be, he would be forced to learn everything that went contrary 
to the culture that God had established. And yet there's no recording of Daniel hating anybody in the process. I don't know about you, but um, it seems like to me that, that our culture has changed a little bit. This ain't leave it to beaver anymore. My, um, my son used to love to watch uh, the Andy, is it Andy Griffin? I keep getting that wrong. Watch all of those shows. The Dick Van Dyke show, Psh, that's a classic. We sit down and watch those shows over and over and over again. I think, man, if the worst that could happen in our town is you got a bad haircut, wouldn't that be great? Now, I wasn't alive in the 50s and 60s, but, but sometimes we, we think about those as the glory days, don't we? There's nothing open on Sunday. We had blue laws. So what's happened to America it's not that bad things weren't happening. They just weren't being publicized as much. What's happened to America isn't quite the same as what happened to Daniel. We've had an evolution of culture. We didn't wake up one day and it all was different. It just kind of seeped into America where we just started accepting this is the new norm. And it just kept getting more corrupt, more corrupt, more corrupt until pretty much we hate everybody now. We have built a culture of being offended. We built a culture of, of political sides. We built a culture that wants to know what you're against before we actually will be for you. Now, the way that's different is Daniel didn't see an evolution of culture. He just saw an immediate drastic change. He was taken from what he was used to and plopped in what was ungodly and forced to learn it, forced to learn a new language, forced to learn pagan rituals, forced to have a new name. He was forced to do all those things. And so over the next, I don't know, seven weeks or so, I'd like to look at Daniel's response to that culture he lived in. Because here's what we know. Daniel made a difference in the culture he lived in. Daniel had an impact on the culture he lived in at the highest levels. The reason we're reading about Daniel is because he was in a culture that was anti everything he believed for, but some, but somehow he was able to stand up in the middle of it and still believe everything he did and God was with him. And yet not really make that many people mad. Must not have had a Facebook account. <laughs> what happens when we wake up in a different land? I'll be honest with you, the church is living in an age of dramatic change. Sometimes I think COVID exacerbated it. Can I just be honest with you for a second, just for me personally? We're debating things in our culture that I never thought we'd debate. 
I never thought we'd debate the gender of a child. I never thought we'd debate competing in sports of the opposite sex. I never, I never thought we'd debate theories about race and, and who was just by default racist. I never thought we would talk about these things. I never thought they were an issue. And then in the past couple of years, we, you've woken up to, oh, well, explaining things to our kids that we never thought we'd be explaining. Entertainment, marriage, morality, the value of life are not what most people probably in here remember them to be. But I got to tell you, Daniel was even a worse situation than we are. Daniel didn't have a choice. Daniel was ripped out of one circumstance and thrust into another. Ours is kind of changed like heating up, heating up the water on a frog. And we're kind of getting to the place where it's ready to eat. They were going to get a bachelor's degree in Chaldean culture. The three guys that were with Daniel, some of you may remember them, and we'll talk about them later, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their pagan names. At every turn, Daniel was being encouraged and required to accept the new reality. Given a new education, new language, new name, it was all designed to erase Daniel's beliefs and indoctrinate him into the Babylonian culture. But here's, here's the thing. Jeremiah established the response to all this. We read it, Jeremiah 29. He establishes the response. He writes the letter after the exiles happen. He writes a letter to them to make sure, because we'll get into this a little bit later. By the way, there's people that will run around and tell you things that aren't true. Imagine that. There's people that will run around in the church and say that the church has to do certain things and, and, and be part of certain things and do certain that are not biblical. And so Jeremiah is writing to the exiles saying, hey, listen, listen, listen. You're hearing from pre- people that claim to be prophets and claim to know God that are not telling you the truth. Here's the truth. You're not getting out of this. <laughs> I'm glad you brought a visitor today. <laughs> Wow, I just went to a church this morning and said it's not going to get any better. <laughs> Amen. I'm coming back next week. <laughs> Jeremiah says, you're not getting out of this. So in light of you not getting out of this, here's what I want you to do. Build houses. Live in them. That makes sense. Be a part of the neighborhood. Get married. Have kids. Wait a second, Jeremiah, this sounds like long-term planning. Let your kids get married. Generational. You're going to be here a while. Then at the end of his statement, he tacks on this. Pray for the welfare of your community. Because if they do well, then you will do well. I wish he would have left that end one out. The getting married thing, building houses, that's cool. 
getting married, that's cool. Having kids, that's cool. Watching your kids get married, that's cool. That's cool. But you want me to pray for my neighbor who I know voted different than me? You know what I figured out? Holding on to your values does not require you to hate the people trying to change them. Holding on to our values does not require us to hate people that's trying to change them. Verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. There's something about when you pray for your neighborhood and your neighborhood does better, that's where your house is. Wouldn't it be great if your neighbor did well? Some of you are like, "Mm." you don't know where I live. There's no indication in the book of Daniel that he harbored any hate towards any of his indoctrinators. The church has been convinced that it's it's in a cultural war with people who think differently than we do. And that drastic measures have to be taken against those very people. And they're warranted to protect our beliefs. There was no such directive to Daniel. In a culture where he was being indoctrinated at every turn, there was no, there was no directive to start a coup. There was no directive to, there was no directive to retaliate. There was no directive for any of that. It was, hey, build houses, procreate, let your kids procreate and pray for your neighbors. Pray for people because if they do well, you'll do well. I want my boss to have a good day, whether he believes like me or not. Because if he has a good day, I'm going to have a good day. I want my wife to have a good day, whether she believes what I do or not. Because you all know what that means. I want my neighbor to have a good day. We've been convinced that we're in a cultural war, but I got to tell you something. Paul writes to the Ephesians thousands of years later. And he elaborates actually on what Daniel will live out. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Come on, that's a good preaching right there. Put on the whole armor. We're getting ready to fight. That feel good? Turn on the right news broadcast. Get on the right, get on the right podcast. Get on, we're going to fight this cultural war. And them people aren't going to win. Except when we put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12 throws a big monkey wrench in that philosophy. Because Paul writes to the Ephesians of verse 12. Skip to the next verse. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle. Ah, man. I watched UFC last night. It would be so much easier if as Christians we were allowed to hit people that didn't agree with us. How are you getting ready to fight this spiritual war? I'm going to the gym. I'm hitting the speed bag. And the next person doesn't believe. Isn't that how we act sometimes? As soon as somebody tries to change the education system. 
ever dreamed that conservative Christianity would be something you'd have to stand up for? How naive are we to think that we could just sit back and go to church and the world wouldn't evolve into something awful? The problem is we're fighting the wrong fight. Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says, yes, I want you to armor up. I want you to be as strong as you can. Put on everything that's offered to you. You be ready for combat. But the prerequisite to fight is to know who you're fighting. And it's not your neighbor. It's not an evil politician. It's not the, it's not the evil person at the school board. It's not any of those people. It's actually principalities of powers in high places. And he's not talking about the president. Spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. The problem with the culture war is we end up fighting people instead of spirits. And listen to me, we're going to lose every time. We're going to lose every time. Daniel was never called to fight a cultural war. He was never called to, to like, don't do what they say. He was never called to do any of that. He was called that in the midst of all that, they would see the grace of God in him. And how, how somebody thrust into an ungodly circumstance could excel and everybody around him notice it. Fighting the wrong fight. Satan has done a remarkable job causing the church to separate itself from the very people Jesus died for. Because we're in a cultural war. Daniel and all the other exiles were encouraged by Jeremiah to pray for the welfare of the people they now lived with. Whose culture was blatantly anti-God. The thing now is we're not only encouraged to pray for those people, but make disciples out of them. How do we do that? Mark chapter 2, verse 13. This is Jesus doing this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. By the way, if he's sitting at the tax booth, guess what he probably is? An IRS man. I find any of y'all hanging out with an IRS man. (laughs) Follow me. That's what Jesus said to him. He rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Isn't it strange that if you make yourself available to somebody that doesn't believe like you, you'll end up hanging around more people that don't believe like you? Hmm. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, oh. you, know how, you know how it sounds, don't you? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, I love that Jesus could hear everything that was said in the room. Because this question wasn't addressed to Jesus. It was addressed to his disciples. And Jesus went, hey, I got this one. Don't worry about it. I'm going to answer this fool. 
I didn't come for people who didn't need a doctor. I came for sick people. You know, Jesus is saying, if you see me hanging around sick people, assume that I'm the doctor. The same thing God has put the mandate on us as his followers. Go out into all the world and make disciples of all people. And what I figured out is that you can't have a cultural war with the people that you're trying to disciple. You can't fight the people that you're trying to win to Christ. We become Nebuchadnezzar when we do that. Think about it. If you have to defeat the people in order to indoctrinate them, you're, we're no better than the guy dragging the Israelites into exile. This is not about winning and losing. This is about eternity. And so God sends us into the world not to, not to lose in a cultural debate, but to win in a love display. Amen? Oh, but isn't it so better to be offended? Doesn't it feel good? It gives us something to talk about, doesn't it? Man, get around with a couple good people who are, think like you. You're like, I know. Man, this town's going to hell. You say it that way. We say it that way, don't we? Anytime a Christian says hell, you got to get like two syllables just so it sounds safe. Hell. That's the Christian hell. Yeah. So. Wait a second. Jesus is hanging out with the people that the Pharisees already condemned to hell. Jesus is not having a cultural debate with Matthew, the tax collector. He said, why don't you bring your friends over? I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm not even going to debate the culture you're living in because what's the point? You need to know how much I love you before we can even get into the culture conversation. The problem with the way the church is addressing it now, nobody knows we love them. And then we walk in and tell them everything they're doing is wrong. The way you're raising your kids is wrong. The way you're educating is wrong. The way you vote is wrong. The way you do all this is wrong. It's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. And we stand in the back of the room and go, how could you eat with them? I just think Jesus is like, Matthew's got pretty good food. He's a solid dude. He's going to follow me one day and turn the world upside down. I didn't hold his voting record against him before I hung out with him. We were fighting a cultural war that we weren't called to fight. Are we a church praying for our community or warring with them? We've gotten it mixed up. I wrote this down. You can be uncompromising without being a jerk. It's called grace. You can be uncompromising without being a jerk. We can engage our culture without being offensive. You find Daniel, even when he goes culturally against what he's required to do, they don't really find any offense in him. He's not standing in the middle going, I hate all these people, they're making me do this. No, he would quietly pray to God. And God would deliver him. In the view of everybody around. We'll get to it. In a, probably next week. They, they give him food to eat. That's not, that's not on his dietary regimen. 
He doesn't lash out in this tirade against the jailer. and go, I can't believe you would do this to us. He says, if you don't mind, would you please let us eat something else? Whatever happened to the church being gracious, caring. We got a dose of truth. We got a dose of truth that we can't wait to unleash. But the son of God came with equal amounts of grace and truth. And when you only give truth, we start fighting. But when you wrap truth up in enough grace to let people know that you love them past their political belief. Amen. We can be uncompromising without being a jerk. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son of the father, full of what? And truth. Did you notice the order there? It didn't say truth sprinkled a little bit of grace. It wasn't like this. Well, I'm sorry if you're offended by this, but... care about you enough to not need to have a conversation. We have been duped. The church in America has been duped for the last 40, 50 years. We've been duped in the idea that we're culture changers. That one day, if we vote the right way and we do all these civic things and we have right opinion about stuff that we could change our culture. And so what we did was we put all of our time, effort, resources, and energy into changing the culture. 50 years later, what did we get? Worst culture and our neighbors hate us. Do you realize there's no biblical mandate to change a culture? Anywhere in the New Testament. Anywhere in the New Testament, there's not a biblical mandate to change the culture. It does not say, go into all the world and change the cultures. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, go in. Matter of fact, when you read the epistles, when you read the apostles' writings, you read Peter saying, hey, just submit to the authority. Oh, doesn't that grate your nerves? He obviously wasn't having a good day when he wrote that. Not just submit to the authority. Honor those who God put in charge above you. All these things. And we're like, yeah, but they're anti-Christian culture. We've got to raise up and do something about it. I'm going to start a Facebook group. And I'm going to get a bunch of other really upset people in there to say nasty things about their neighbors. We got duped. Just like Jeremiah knew that the people in exile could get duped. Jeremiah writes the letter after they're in exile and says, hey, I know there's people coming to you saying you should do X, Y, and Z and saying you should do this and you should do that. And this ain't going to last very long. And you, you buck up against the authority and you do all these things. And Jeremiah went, don't listen to them. That was not what God wants you to do. What does God want you to do? Pray for the people you live around. Oh, wait a second. That's it? We're not to be cultural warriors? We're not to rise up against the evil Babylon. I don't know. Because if you do this wrong, there won't be enough of you left to go back when it's over. 
Here's the irony of the whole thing. The more we fight for, with people, the less of the good stuff in us stays around. We've been subcontracted by the devil. Jeremiah is trying as hard as he can for the exiles. Don't listen to false prophets. Listen to me. You just pray for the people that you're around. You live a good life. You keep your culture. You keep your godly views. You keep your... You keep this culture that I've ingrained in you. You keep it. I'm not saying break your culture, but you pray for the people around you and you just go about living because at the end of 70 years, I need you to go back. So here's the problem. We can fight ourselves into non-existence. We've been duped into thinking That the church has to be a culture warrior when the only mandate in the New Testament is for us to make disciples. So we end up fighting with the people that we're supposed to be loving on. Now listen, I get just as worked up as you do. I have to turn all the news off. I have to stop listening to podcasts. I have to stop looking at Twitter sometimes. And I have to realize because man, doesn't it just feel good? They're going to hell. I know it. Then God started checking me. If you're so confident they're going to hell, why don't you engage them about something other than politics, about something other than economic theory, about something other than whether the economy is going the right way or the wrong way about something other than what's being taught in the school. Why don't you engage them and pray for them that they might succeed in life? Because if your neighbor will mow their grass and make your house look better. Maybe you're pray- maybe your neighbor's praying that you mow your grass. <laughs> the band's going to come up. I'm not trying to be harsh today, but sometimes we have to recenter ourselves, don't we? And we have to figure out what's important for the church. And we have, to, we have to set the expectations. And the expectation was never in any circumstance to change the culture of the place. It wasn't that. It was to be a shining light in the midst of an evil culture. And in Daniel's life, you saw over and over and over him. Him gently and courteously stand up for what God had put in him. And then God kept him through the whole thing. And exalted him in front of a pagan country. Without him having to be a jerk. So here's what I know. People that live near us need to see the grace of God in us towards them. And when everybody's telling us we should hate each other, they said she loved coming out of us. They should see us willing to be around people that they never thought church people had. They just, they should see grace emanating from us so that the truth can be swallowed. Amen. So stand to your feet. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to offend you one more time. Just, just, I just want to wrap it up. Well, you know, I started thinking about for decades, the church has bemoaned the cultural shift We will scream about it and yet teach our kids to accept it. The reason Jeremiah writes to the exiles, he says, listen, 
I want you to go on living. Don't be mistaken. He wasn't telling them to marry Babylonians. He wasn't saying accept the culture that far. He was saying, you keep the culture in your house and pray for those outside of it. I grew up in the, in the 80s and 90s when the church was screaming at the culture and then raising our kids to accept it. You can say amen next week. That's fine. What the world saw was irate people, irate adults allowing their kids to do the same things that they were irate about. Stand up on Sunday morning and decry the whole thing and then turn around on Wednesday and realize, hey, wait a second, I just saw your kids out there acting like they're going to hail. Jeremiah writes to the exiles and says, man, keep it close, keep it close, keep it close. Don't let your kids forget. Don't, don't let this culture wane because one day at the end of seven years, there's going to be a guy named Nehemiah that's going to go back there and build a wall. And we need all of y'all to go back. And we need to have this culture thing established. And just because you're living in a culture that doesn't recognize God doesn't mean that in your house you can't. It doesn't mean that in your house you can't teach grace. And in your house you can't teach love. It doesn't mean that in your house you can't perpetuate the things of God without teaching hate towards somebody that doesn't. Amen? So that's what God is asking us to do today. If you woke up this morning and turned the news on and went, I don't understand any of this. That is a calling on your life not to fight with people, but fight with the devil. To start praying that God would spare your neighbor. To spare the people that you work with. To spare the kids in your school. To spare people the punishment of hell. We're not talking about winning elections. We're talking about eternity. And we need to start praying that way and treating people that way. Amen? And the church needs to separate ourselves from any idea that we're going to just change the whole culture and start discipling people. Start teaching people how to love each other. Amen? Amen? Come on, can we give Him praise this morning? He's calling us to a great thing and we've seen Him do it. Amen?